Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa salatu wa salam ala abdillahi wa rasulih Nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in amma ba'd So we're continuing with the tafsir of Surah Al-Fajr We spoke about the first part of the Surah Wal-Fajr wa layalin ashar wa shaf'i wa al-watr wa al-layli idha yasr Hal fi thalika qasamun isn't there in this an oath for a people of intellect? Al-Hijr here is the intellect. Alam tara kayfa fa'ala rabbuka bi'aad irama dhati al-imad allati lam yukhlaq mithluha fil bilad. This is where we reached up to last time and we spoke about the ayah allati lam yukhlaq mithluha fil bilad and we said that the strongest opinion is the ayah refers back to Ad themselves and not necessarily the city of Ad. Some of the scholars of Tafsir, they said the city of Ad. They said the city of Ad, there was no city that was known like it in its time. But the word yukhlaq here usually, it's not a must, but usually the word khalaqa is usually used for Allah's creation of mankind and the heavens and the earth. And it's rare that we use the word khalaqa for a person. We can use the word khalaqa as in someone made it. We can, but it's not usual. We don't use it very often. There is an example in the Quran. Can you think of the example in the Quran of using in Surah... Uh, Surah Al-Imran, Surah, uh, yeah, Surah Al-Imran, if I'm not mistaken, Surah Al-Ma'idah as well. Surah Al-Imran comes to mind. Using the word khalaqa or akhluqu without, no, in Surah Al-Imran, as a person creating something instead of Allah creating something. Inni akhluqu lakum. من الطين كهيئة الطير عيسى عليه السلام he said I create from you, for you from clay a bird like the shape of a bird so the word create here of course Isa did not create the clay Allah Azzawajal created the clay but the word أخلقه uh, here I fashion for you I, I make the shape of it uh, and then it becomes a bird by the permission of Allah Azza wa Jal. So it can be used, Allah Azza wa Jal said, وَتَخْلُقُونَ If can uh, you invent a lie. So this can also be used for a person, but it's not uh, very common. The most common is the word that the word خَالَقَ يَخْلُقُ is used for 
when Allah Azza wa Jal, for the creation of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala that Allah Azza wa Jal creates. So we think that the most, uh, the strongest opinion about the ayah التي لم يخلق مثلها في البلاد is that it refers to Ad themselves. That Ad no one knew anyone like them in their in in their country, in their place, in their time. Nobody knew anyone like Ad. Their strength, their power, their you know their the huge forms, you know, very tall, huge uh, tents that they had, the vast city that they built or town that they built. Nobody knew anything like it. So we came to the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal regarding Thamud. وَثَمُودَ الَّذِينَ جَابُوا الصَّخْرَ بِالْوَادِ Thamud, Thamud are another group of people, another nation who came very, very close to Ad. And that's why often in the Quran they're mentioned together, right? They came very, very close. It's said that they are Thamud ibn Abir ibn Iram ibn Sam ibn Nuh. And in between them and Ad is just one, any Thamud, son of Abir, son of Iram. And in between them and Ad, very, very close. One forefather, one ancestor, one ancestor or two. Between them and between Ad. Ad were destroyed. Ad were wiped out. And yet, within one generation, the people didn't learn. They went back to the exact same thing that those people were doing from Al-Kufr, Tughyan, disbelief and transgression and so on. وَثَمُودَ الَّذِينَ جَابُوا الصَّخْرَ بِالْوَادِ Jabu, Jabu, the word Jabu here means to cleave or to split, split apart. Jabu Sakhr, a Sakhr is a vast stone like a rock they used to cleave rocks bilwad in the wadi they used to cleave any in other words carve any carve uh, ho holes or you know uh, houses they used to carve from the from the mountain bilwad uh, in the wadi uh, the one that is known as Wadi Al Qura, the one that's known as the the valley of uh, the valley of Thamud or the valley of the the towns, and the, which is well known, where they have the until today it still exists, where they have carved the homes into into the mountains. Uh, so Allah Azza wa Jalla said, وَثَمُودَ الَّذِينَ جَابُوا الصَّخْرَ بِالْوَادِ They they split open the mountains. They split open the mountains. And the rocks, they carved them apart in that particular valley. And they were fooled by what they had. They were fooled by that strength that they had. Uh, and Allah Azawajal mentioned uh, this in different, uh, in different places. وَتَنْحِتُونَ مِنَ الْجِبَالِ بُيُوتًا You carve out of the mountains homes. 
and they went to the mountains and they carved their homes out of the mountains. They, if you've seen the pictures, the pictures are available until, until today. You can see how they carved huge homes out of, out of the mountain. And they were fooled by that strength that they had and what Allah had given them from these vast homes in these mountains. And they believed that they would not be seized the way that Ad was seized. وَثَمُودَ الَّذِينَ جَابُوا الصَّخْرَ بِالْوَادِ This idea of them carving the, their homes from the mountains and from the rocks, uh, that was what was mentioned by the majority. That was what was mentioned by the uh, majority of the scholars of Tafsir, and that was the opinion of Ibn Jarir, rahimahullah ta'ala. So Allah Azza mentioned to us Ad and he mentioned that they were that that they were that al-imad that they had these huge uh, vast buildings or vast tents with these huge towering poles in them and they were very tall people and then Allah Azza mentioned Thamud who carved their homes out of the mountains وَفِرْعَوْنَ ذِي الْأَوْتَادِ Fir'aun is well known. Fir'aun in the first place is, an, is, an, is a title, not a name, right? Fir'aun is a title, not a name. So Fir'aun is a title that is given to every ruler at that time. That dynasty of the rulers of Egypt, every ruler was called Fir'aun. Like every ruler in Rome was called Qaisar, Caesar. And every ruler in Persia was called Kisra, Khosro. Uh, at that particular time, that particular empire, everyone was called. But the Fir'aun that is mentioned in the Quran is one particular individual and not a group of them. It's not the... Uh, not the Fir'aun, I mean the, the, all of the Fir'auns, but the one particular Fir'aun, the Fir'aun of the time of Musa, alayhi salam. Fir'aun is described as being dil awtad, as the possessor of awtad. And the word awtad, the word awtad uh, here, what it means is pegs. You know the pegs that you you uh, put up a tent with stakes, or you don't have to be pegs, even stakes. That you can you can have like metal pegs, or you can have wooden, quite strong wooden, very sharp sticks that you hammer into the ground. So any of these are called in Arabic autat. And Allah Azza wa described the mountains as they are being as autat. That Allah Azza wa created the mountains as pegs because the mountains hold the earth firm. So Allah created the mountains as awtad, as pegs, and likewise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes Fir'aun as possessing these stakes or pegs. So what is the meaning of this? Uh, here, there are a number of different opinions from the scholars of 
tafsir. It's narrated from Ibn Abbas with a weak chain of narration. It's not as strong. Be careful when we say a lot of times because Ibn Abbas is so famous for tafsir. Many times we say Ibn Abbas said Ibn Abbas. It was narrated from Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma. But you, have, you do have to check that it's that narration to Ibn Abbas is authentic. This one is not. Uh, but he said, in any case, it's narrated that they are al-Junud, uh, the army of Fir'aun, because they were the ones who strengthened his reign. And Fir'aun was a tyrant. But how does a tyrant control a country? How does Fir'aun control an entire country? He's one person at the end of the day. It's always, it, do you not find that to be amazing how Allah decrees matters? That one person, that one person, who is he? One insan da'if, any one single person. If 10 people from Bani Israel come to him, they can tear him into shreds. He's just one little person. But Allah decreed that Fir'aun controlled through what? Through authority through a certain degree of power. So this opinion from Ibn Abbas is that the Awtad are the Junud, the army of Fir'aun, his vast army by which he controlled the land. And that the reason they're called pegs or stakes is because they were like the things that held up the tent of Fir'aun, that held up the country. The soldiers, the huge army that he had at his disposal, they kind of made his reign firm, made his kingdom strong. That's one opinion. Uh, some of them took it a little bit similar, but a little bit more literal. They said the soldiers are not the pegs, but the, Fir'aun had so many soldiers that when they would camp out, they would have, you know, tents as far as the eye can see. And so there would be many, many pegs that would be used to keep the tents, these huge tents of all these, uh, you know, this vast army that Fir'aun has, that they would be kept up with the pegs. That's one uh, opinion. And uh, there are other opinions that are mentioned as well. regarding uh, this statement of, uh, of Fir'aun. The other thing, or one of the other opinions which is mentioned, is that Fir'aun, and this is a, another mainstream opinion, that Fir'aun used to torture people at the stake. I don't know if you've ever heard of, heard, heard of, uh, of that you know, being burnt at the stake or tortured at the stake. So they, they take a huge, uh, if you like, a huge stick or a huge stake that is, is made like a peg with a, a sharp end. And they drive it into the ground and then they crucify the person on it or they torture them on it or they stab it through them or they hang them on it or they punish them on it. And it's said that he had these huge uh, stakes made of metal uh, or made of uh, wood and that he used to torture the people with these stakes and so he became known as Fir'aun Dil Autad, Fir'aun the one who had the stakes 
and these huge uh, sticks that were driven into the ground to crucify the people, to torture the people. There is uh, an evidence for the existence of that, not for the tafsir of the ayah, but there's an evidence that these, that did happen in uh, what Allah mentioned about what happened to the magicians in Fir'aun. I'm going to crucify you on the trunks of date palms. So Fir'aun commanded for the magicians that these big, huge, big trunks were driven into the, you know, into the ground or the trees as they were, and that the, day, that the magicians were crucified on the, on the date palms. So there is, I mean, this is not, uh, it, it's certainly possible. It's certainly possible. Um, and there are other types of torture that I mentioned that Fir'aun used to drive stakes into their hands and legs and all kinds of different tortures that Fir'aun did. So in effect, really, what you're looking at with regard to this uh, uh, tafsir of, with regard to Fir'aun is you're looking at really one of two things. You're either that it, looking at that Dil Autad refers to his army or if it refers to some means of torture that he used to torture the people with. Now, Sheikh Dr. Khalid Sabt mentioned a very, very, very beneficial point here. He mentioned that none of the Salaf said that the Autad referred to the pyramids. You might hear this in modern, some people mention it. You know, like people, everybody loves, you know, Al-Gharaib and... Uh, looking for weird opinions that nobody ever said and bringing it out. Look, nobody understood the Quran until today. And people love to do that, right? You get, you find people who are not well grounded in knowledge. And they like to bring out things that nobody else knew about. You know, just like to have something unique to them. And this is mine and nobody else knew about it except me. So some of them might bring out and say, the autad here are the pyramids. These huge, big, you know, stakes driven into the ground. I mean, a pyramid's kind of like a, an upside down peg or something like that. You know, like, it's the pyramids. Except, and he mentioned this, that you can't find any of the Salaf who connected the pyramids to Fir'aun. This is very interesting. He said generally the Salaf were not typically of the opinion that the pyramids came from Fir'aun in the first place. They actually, in the books of history, the general feeling is that the pyramids came before Fir'aun. Some of them said they came from Idris, alayhi salam. Some of them said they came just after Nuh. Some of them said before Nuh. And Various different opinions, but generally speaking, the Muslims as a whole, the, classically, the Muslims did not generally believe that the pyramids came from the pharaohs. And the Sheikh, he suggests that the first people to say that the pyramids came from the pharaohs were the French and British, uh, what do they call them? What's the name for them? Archaeologists. 
who came from Europe and who uncovered the Sphinx and you know that Shaitan idol and all that stuff. They, they took it out from the ground and then they gave it that pride of place. These French and British archaeologists, they were the ones who said this came from Fir'aun. Now we're not saying Fir'aun, the, the, some of the pharaohs were not buried in them. Some of the pharaohs be, be buried in them or not. But generally speaking, the Muslims typically and the people in Egypt prior to the French and British archaeologists did not typically believe the pyramids came from Fir'aun. Their feeling was that the pyramids were an ancient structure that existed and predated uh, Fir'aun. Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. But one thing we know for sure, aside from the who built the pyramids, doesn't really concern us. But that the tafsir of the ayah, it was not from the tafsir of the salaf to say that the ayah refers to the pyramids. That was not from the, that was not how the salaf understood the Quran. It wasn't how the people in the time of the Sahaba and the Tabi'een and those after them, they did not understand the Quran that Dhil Awtad refers to the, the pyramids. Some of them said the army of Fir'aun, some of them said it was how Fir'aun tortured the people, but they didn't uh, see this to refer to uh, the pyramids. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Those who transgressed and oppressed the people throughout the lands. Here, who does it refer to? Is it Fir'aun? Is it the army of Fir'aun? Is it Ad? Is it Thamud? Those who transgressed throughout the lands. And they corrupted a vast amount of the earth. Who does it refer to? Is the chat working today? Yeah, we've got to give them 10 seconds to answer. Because it takes 10 seconds for the question to reach them. Who is it who caused such great corruption on the earth and harmed the people and disobeyed the command of Allah? Was it Ad or Thamud or Fir'aun? Fir'aun, the general Ad. Okay. Anyone think Thamud? All three. No doubt. Allah described Thamud specifically and said, Yufsiduna fil they, they caused corruption on the earth. They didn't make things right. There were terrible examples in all of them. All three of them. Those people who are pressed on the earth. Here the fat, what it tells us, the fat in fasabba, it tells us that this is the recompense of the people who do this action. And whoever does this action, this is what is going to happen to them. 
And whoever causes tyranny on the earth, oppression on the earth, hurts the people, harms the people, uh, disobeys Allah Azza wa Jal, corrupts people, corrupts the earth, corrupts the cities, Allah is going to send upon them his punishment. Okay. However, there is a interesting question. When was the last time that Allah sent a general destruction upon an entire people? Do you see what I mean by general destruction? Like I'm talking about we, the stories you hear in the Quran, right? You know, the destruction of the entire people. Sheikh al-Islam mentioned it, Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. The last time that Allah sent destruction upon, an, it destroyed an entire people. Like Allah just said, فَهَلْ تَرَى لَهُمْ مِنْ بَاقِيَةٍ do you see any remnants of them? You see nothing left from them. So who are some of the people Allah destroyed like that? The people of Nuh, yeah, with the flood. The people of Lut, with the, the stones. Yeah, and they turned the city upside down in the stones. Ad, Samud. Uh, what, what destroyed Ad? فَأَمَّا ثَمُودُ فَأُهْلِكُوا بِالطَّاغِيَةِ وَأَمَّا عَادٌ فَأُهْلِكُوا بِرِيهِمْ صَرْصَرٍ عَاتِيَةِ Ad were destroyed by a violent wind. Thamud were destroyed by that. Uh, what do you call it? I can't think of the word now. What's the word? How do you explain it? Not a scream, like a... My English words have all gone, all left me today. A blast. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. Taghiya. And they were overpowered instantly. And it's like a sayha, like a scream or like a blast. Okay. Okay. Uh, what was the question? Who was the last? Yeah. Who was the last nation that Allah sent upon them a general destruction? What are the mashaykh on YouTube saying? The last nation that Allah sent upon them a general destruction. Allah destroyed them all, like the people of Nuh. Are we all agreed the people of Nuh was the first? Can we agree that? The first nation that Allah sent complete destruction upon was the people of Nuh. And he wiped them out. No one is left. That is, you are gone, all of you. The last one. Did it happen to Quraysh? 
What did Allah say about Quraysh? No, that's Yom Qiyamah. Allah said that He will not punish them while the Prophet Sallallahu while you are among them. And Allah will not punish them while they are asking, while they ask for forgiveness. So if it wasn't Quraysh, we have to go before Quraysh. Agreed? Has anyone else seen anyone get destructed, an entire nation just get wiped out after Quraysh? What are the people of Musa? Sahih. That's the correct answer. The people of Fir'aun. Yani. Fir'aun was the last general destruction that Allah sent upon. That's what Shaykh Islam is telling you. That there's not been, there have been examples where Allah has destroyed one person or Allah has destroyed a group of people or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroyed uh, a, any, uh, like a particular tyrant and so on but there hasn't been a general destruction anywhere Allah sent an ayah to, like, to destroy the people since Fir'aun and the interesting thing about Fir'aun is what? that Fir'aun himself the destruction of Fir'aun is an ayah what did Allah say about it in uh, Surah Yunus. Surah Yunus. لِتَكُونَ لِمَنْ خَلْفَكَ آيَةً So that you, your body, we're going we're gonna to save your body, we're going to save you and your body, we're going to preserve your body so that you can be a sign for everyone else who comes after you. So what that means is that Allah Azza wa destroyed these nations as a sign. After Fir'aun, what happened is that Allah Azza wa destroyed individuals like that. Allah Azza wa destroyed particular individuals, families, a particular group of people. But an entire nation, the last that we know of, well, ilmu indallah, and Allah Azza wa knows better, is that the last is Fir'aun. فَصَبَّ alayhim. Allah Azza wa used the word sabba. Sabba, uh, it means he sent it down, but the word sabba is like he poured it upon them. It rained down upon them. You would use sabba when you pour, you pour water on the, you know, the floor. You say sabba. He drenched it, you threw it down upon them. Fasabba alayhim, Allah Azza wa Sent down upon them, he rained down upon them. Sawt adab. Sawt is a whip. Sawt is a, a whip. That's what we call a, a whip in Arabic. Sawt. So why did Allah call it the whip of punishment? Sawt adab. There are two opinions. The opinion of Ibn Jarir, rahimahullah ta'ala, when I say there are two opinions, there are many opinions, but I'm just, I mean there are two that I want to highlight here. One is the opinion of Ibn Jarir, rahimahullah ta'ala. Ibn Jarir, he said, this is uslubun min asalib al-arab. This is how the Arabs speak. The Quran was revealed in Arabic, and the Arabs, they use the word sawt to mean punishment. Yani if you say he was whipped, 
you know, I, he was punished or he was uh, threatened with the whip. Like they use the word the stick, right? Like we say in English, the carrot and the stick. Does that mean you actually hit the person with a stick? Ah, you might hit the person with your hand. You might hit the person. You might, you know, do anything to the person. But the meaning of the stick is the stick is used as a, like a metaphor for punishment. Ibn Jari didn't say it's a metaphor because in the first place, that's a, metaphors in the Quran is a different discussion. But the concept is that the Arabs use the word sawt to mean punishment. And it's, it, it's the word, the whip of punishment. It's an expression in Arabic, which means punishment. The second opinion that I want to highlight is the opinion that the word whip here is because the punishment they received in the dunya is just like one lash of the whip compared to what they will receive in the hereafter. So Allah described it as a salt, as a whip, because it will be in comparison to what they will have Yawm Al-Qiyamah, this will just be a, like the single lash of a whip. And what will happen to them Yawm Al-Qiyamah will be far, far, far worse. And there's no doubt, there's no doubt about that. So, as we said, Ibn Jarir, when he said Sawta Adab, and likewise Ibn Kathir also, he said, Rijzan min sama a punishment from the heavens. And the word Sawta Adab is a well known expression used by the Arabs generally to refer to a punishment that descends upon them, a, a severe punishment descended upon them. But some of them, they mentioned this. They mentioned that the word Sawt is used here because the punishment they received in this dunya was very, very, very small compared to the punishment that they will receive Yawm Al-Qiyamah. إِنَّ رَبَّكَ Ibn Abbas uh, عن, uh, when he said uh, when, he, when he made tafsir of this ayah he said yes Allah sees everything Allah hears uh, everything that you do and Allah sees everything that you do that's what the word rasad, uh, rasada, that's one of the meanings of the word rasada in, in Arabic is to look closely, to observe someone closely. So Ibn Abbas, uh, he took it like that. Yasma'u wa yara. Allah sees everything you do and Allah hears everything that you do. But there is something particular to this word uh, rasad uh, which is I, I will try my best to to to, uh, to explain it one of the meanings of the word rasada is to lie in wait for someone like to watch someone waiting for them on the on the path, 
if that makes sense. Like, you know, uh, like they use this for, uh, for, for like, um, you have like a, 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 an ambush or something like that. Like an ambush. Like someone is waiting for you and watching for you to get to that place and then bang, they hit you. And that is a deeper meaning than just the fact that Allah Azza wa is, just the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching you. Yes, there is no doubt Allah Azza wa is watching you. He hears everything you see. But Labimirsad, it's like he's watching you and he is ready to send his punishment down upon you when you reach a certain position on the path. When you reach a certain place on the path, the punishment can descend upon you just like that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching you. He sees everything that you are doing. He knows everything that you are doing. He hears everything that you are doing. And your punishment is lying in wait for you on the path that you're treading. If you keep going down this path of atugyan, oppression and transgression and tyranny, if you keep going down this road, there's something waiting for you on that road. Your Lord is closely observing you when you come to a certain point that punishment is going to descend is going to descend upon you I want to see what the translation uh, if there's a better translation if I just go to the English translation of the Quran for Surah Al-Fajr and I bring as always bring all of the English translations up See if any of them captured this meaning in English. Ever watchful. On a watchtower, ever observing. None of them really captured them that quite captured that meaning. Uh, even though the general meaning is, is, is ever watchful of you, is ever observing you. But that's not why it was brought here. The fact that Allah is watching you, there is no doubt. But the reason it's brought here, it's that almost like the punishment is lying in wait to ambush you. That's what you understand by Bil Mirsad. That it's waiting for you on the path that Allah is watching you and you reach a certain point of oppression and transgression, Allah is going to send you down this punishment that's going to ambush you on the path. Uh, that seems to me to be more of a, de a deeper meaning than just that Allah is watching you. Uh, Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentioned that this is both in the dunya and the akhirah. Likewise, if I'm not mistaken, Ibn Jarir, rahimahullah ta'ala, if I'm not mistaken, although I don't have the quote, said the same, that he took it as the dunya and the akhirah. That there is punishment waiting for you. The path Allah is watching you, is ready to ujazi, uh, is ready to punish you or to reward you. In the dunya and the akhirah. And that your path will certainly lead. To Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And Allah azawajal is, is just Allah azawajal is the most just I mean, These are some of the points that were mentioned here Here uh, Al-Hasan wa Ikrimah 
they both mentioned Labil Mirsad and Alayhi Tariqul Ibad La Yafutuhu Ahadum Minhum that Allah Azza wa Jal has taken Allah Azza wa Jal has laid out a path for his creation and none of them will escape. And that's what I really wanted. Actually, that's what I was that's that's what I was trying to find a word for. Labil Mirsad, Allah is watching you and there is no escape. That's probably the best way we can translate this. Inna Rabbaka Labir Mirsad, Allah is watching you, your Lord is watching you, and there is no escape. There is no escape, like there was no escape for Ad, there was no escape for Thamud, and there was no escape for Fir'aun. Do you see any remnants of them left? Did one, even one of them survive to tell the story? Do you see anything left from them? Uh, because that the word rust uh, and rasada it means to observe someone on their road and to seize them suddenly and snatch them suddenly from the place which from the road that they are walking on to ambush them and to snatch them from the place that they are walking on and so this is an ayah which tells of uh, the punishment the punishment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared for those people who oppress and corrupt on the earth the way that Ad and Fir'aun and Thamud did. Ibn Jarir, he did say, I found the quote from Ibn Jarir, that Ibn Jarir, he, uh, he mentioned, Ibn Jarir, he mentioned in the Akhirah, that when the people cross Jahannam, inna rabbaka labil mirsad, your Lord is watching and you will not escape the punishment that is assigned for you if you escape or if you are saved from it, not escape from it, but if you are saved from it in the dunya, you will not be saved from it in the akhirah. And that Allah knows all of the actions that they do and Allah is able to punish them and so on. Um, we talked about the answer, the Jawab al-Qasam. We said that this is not the, the correct opinion. This ayah is not the response to Wal-Fajr, Wal-Layalin-Ashr, Wal-Shaf'i, Wal-Watr, Wal-Layli, Ida Yasr. The answer to it is not Inna Rabbaka Labil Mirsad. That's not the conclusion of those ayat. This is an ayah of punishment, a threat of punishment. Whereas what is understood by the first part of the surah is either that Allah will certainly recompense you for your actions or that these actions in themselves the fajr and so on and the 10 days that allah is raising up the status of those times and those actions that are within it and we already explained this then allah said فَأَمَّا الْإِنسَانُ إِذَا مَا بَتَلَاهُ رَبُّهُ فَأَكْرَمَهُ وَنَعْعَمَهُ فَيَقُولُ رَبِّ أَكْرَمًا Allah goes on now to tell us about the situation of mankind. And whenever you hear a negative thing said about mankind, how do we understand it? 
Does it refer to the Muslim? Does it refer to the Kafir? Does it refer to both? When Allah says something negative about he was extremely oppressive and extremely ignorant. Allah said about insan, about mankind. Mankind was oppressive. Mankind was ignorant. Is this all of mankind or is it the, the Muslims or the non-Muslims only? or All of them. What about the prophets? What about the prophets, sahaba? Then why use the word insan if it's not, if it's not, why not say, uh, why not say, فَأَمَّ kuffar or فَأَمَّ الْكَافِرُ إِذَا مَبْتَلَاهُ رَبُّهُ فَأَكْرَامَهُ وَنَعْمَهُ Why mention insan? Why not mention that if it's the disbeliever, why not say the disbeliever? There's a latifa and subtle, something subtle in this. Because the Muslims also, what about the Prophet we're not talking about the Prophet Good. Beautiful. I agree with you. We're not talking about the Prophet But you can't then say it's the Muslims, but it's not. Not the Prophets. Okay, what about Sahaba? What about Abu Bakr? And the companions. What <laughs> about Come on. I'm just... Okay, let's be... Very good. This is very good. This is excellent. MashaAllah. Ahsanallahu ilayk. May Allah bless you. Very, very good. Human nature. When Allah says, فَأَمَّا insan," He's telling you about the nature of people if they don't purify themselves with iman and amal salih, righteous deeds. Yeah? And so on. That's the situation. This is human nature. It's human nature. If people don't correct uh, themselves and purify themselves through what? What do we call the process of purifying yourself? What do we call that in Islam? The process of purifying your soul. What do we call it? Tazkiyatun nafs. Tazkiyatun nafs. Okay? Tazkiyatun nafs is the process of purifying your soul. And there are some human characteristics and traits that if you don't use Islam to purify them, you'll be one of these people. So this ayah could apply to a Muslim if they haven't absorbed the teachings of Islam properly and implemented the teachings of Islam properly. Some of the scholars of tafsir, they said it applies to this ayah, nazalat fil kuffar. It was revealed about the kuffar. But actually the word insan here, it tells us this is human nature if you don't purify it with Islam. فَأَمَّا الْإِنسَانُ إِذَا مَبَتَلَاهُ رَبُّهُ One of my teachers used to say, used to recite a little bit of poetry. used to say, يَا طَالِبَ عِلْمٍ خُذْ فَائِدَةً مَا بَعْدَ إِذَا زَائِدَةً He used to say, no, it's, it's, it's a benefit. But we don't say زَائِدَةً in the Quran. We don't say Zaida in the Quran, but it's a benefit anyway. Whenever you have the word ma after either, the word ma doesn't change the meaning of the word uh, either. Yani the word ma here is not negative. Yani the word ma here is an extra 
emphasis. It's, it's an extra uh, emphasis. Outside of the Quran, we call it Zaida. Yani it's an extra, it's, it's extra. But in the Quran, we don't say the Quran has nothing which is Zaida or Naqisa. It has nothing which is too much or too little. But we say that it is extra emphasis. But it doesn't change the meaning. The word ma here doesn't change the meaning. As for mankind, if he is tested, uh, what is bala in, in Arabic? Is it for good or bad? Bala. Bala. Bad, huh? Good. You're both right. It's bad and good. Al-bala wanabulukum bisharri wal khairi fitna. We test you with bad and we test you with good. So as for mankind when he is tested by his Lord, فَأَكْرَمَهُ وَنَعْعَمَ And his Lord honors him. وَنَعْعَمَهُ And he gives him, he showers his blessings upon him, makes his life very nice, very beautiful life, luxurious life. Let me, uh, instead of trans trying my own translation. Okay, generous and favors him, honors him and gifts him. Honors him and makes his lead an easy life. Okay. I thought maybe the translation would be better. Okay. فَأَكْرَمَهُ وَنَعْعَمَهُ فَيَقُولُ رَبِّي أَكْرَمًا He says, my Lord has certainly honored me. رَبِّي أَكْرَمًا Here. It doesn't mean my Lord has honored me as in this is from the ni'mah of Allah. And it means that my Lord, you know, I am his favorite servant. I am just the best person ever. I'm, you know, Allah truly loves me. How did he judge that Allah loves him? How did he judge that Allah loves him? In the ayah. What did Allah give him? Ni'mah. Blessings. Ikram. Many luxuries. Beautiful lifestyle. What did he say? Rabbi Akraman. My Lord loves me. I am right up there with the highest, the best of mankind. How did he judge that, he, that Allah loves him? Because Allah gave him from the dunya. And as for if he is tested, he limits his rizq. Allah limits his rizq. He measures, because the word qadr in the first place is to measure something, to give something a particular measure. Allah decrees and limits for him his provision. What does he say? What does he say? فَيَقُولُ رَبِّي أَهَانًا He says, my Lord hates me. He has disgraced me. أَهَانًا يعني أَهَانًا إِهَانًا He disgraced me. He doesn't like me. He doesn't love me. So he took this insan has a habit of judging 
his position in the sight of Allah by what he's given from the dunya. But what's the qaida when it comes to the dunya? What principle do we have when it comes to the dunya? That the dunya, Allah gives it to those who he loves and those who he hates. But the akhirah, Allah only gives it to those that he loves. The dunya, Allah gives the dunya, Allah gives the dunya, liman ahab waman lam yuhib, to the people that he loves and the people he doesn't love. In other words, Allah gives you from the dunya, and Allah, you could be the biggest enemy of Allah Azza wa Jal, and Allah give you and give you and give you and give you. And this big enemy of Allah, when Allah gives him, like Fir'aun, Fir'aun, how was his kingdom? Like Ad and Thamud. And Allah Azza gave them and gave them and gave them. And what did he, they say? Look at this. Ah, this is easy life. A person thinks that means that the punishment will not happen to them. Or a person thinks that this means, Rabbi Akraman, my Lord loves me. My Lord has honored me. I have a special position in the sight of my Lord. And likewise the reverse, the person is poor, sick, struggling. What do they say? Rabbi Ahanan, Allah doesn't care about me, Allah doesn't love me, Allah will not guide me. They think, They think of Allah and evil thought. That evil thought comes back against them. Allah is angry with them and Allah cursed them. Allah prepares for them Jahannam and what an evil destination. So it's not right to do either of those two things. What you are given from the dunya has no relation to your position in the sight of Allah at all. Allah might give you the dunya wa ma fiha and you are the most hated person to Allah. And Allah Azza wa Jal might take away everything from you to the point that you don't have clothes to put on your back and you could be the most beloved person to Allah. The dunya has no relation in the sight of Allah to your position as to how you are in the sight of Allah. So what in this thing? Okay. فَأَمَّا الْإِنسَانُ إِذَا مَبْتَلَاهُ رَبُّهُ فَأَكْرَمَهُ وَنَعَّمَهُ فَيَقُولُ رَبِّ أَكْرَمًا وَأَمَّا إِذَا مَبْتَلَاهُ فَقَدَرَ عَلَيْهِ رِزْقَهُ فَيَقُولُ رَبِّ أَهَانًا Okay. If these two things happen to you, you get ikram, you get ni'am, Allah showers his blessings or Allah makes things hard and tough for you. What distinguish whether you, what makes you close to Allah in that situation? If it's not what you've been given. That's my question. If what you've been given doesn't make you close to Allah. Zain, what you've been given doesn't make you close to Allah or far from Allah. What does make you close to Allah in that situation? No doubt, but in this, in context of the dunya, what makes you close to Allah? Allah has just tested you with a severe sickness. You lost all your wealth. You lost your children. You lost your family. لا قدر الله ذلك. May Allah not make it happen. 
and how what what makes you close to Allah? Patience and gratitude. Excellent. As-sabr wa shukr. Patience and gratitude. Or to be more general, how you react. What is required from here is what Allah said, Ibtalahu. Allah tested you. That's what's required from you here in this. Allah tested you. Ibtalahu. Allah put you in a test for good or for bad. Every good that you have in this world is a test from Allah. Every bad that happens to you in this world is a test. It's an opportunity for you to get near to Allah or it is a danger of you to go far away from Allah. How many people went to Jahannam because Allah gave them money? How many people went to Jahannam because Allah gave them hardships and poverty? These hardships and poverty and money is not what put them in Jahannam. What put them in Jahannam is the way they reacted to the hardship and the way they reacted to the money and the luxury. That's what put them in Jahannam. Not the money itself or the hardship itself, but how they responded to it. So the believer is the one who trains themselves away from this. They say, whatever Allah gives me from the dunya, I will do my best to use it for the sake of Allah. I will do my best to be grateful. And I will ask Allah Azza wa Jal to make it of a benefit for me. And whatever hardships Allah puts upon me in this dunya, I will do my best to bear it with patience for the sake of Allah, to use it to get near to Allah. I will do what I can and I will ask Allah to relieve it. Because we don't ask Allah for hardships, right? That's really important. We don't ask Allah for hardships. But hardships are a consequence of Iman. Hardships can be, because the Prophet said, أَشَدُّ النَّاسِ بَلَاءً الْأَنْبِيَاءِ the people who are going to be given the worst tests are who? Fir'aun, Thamud. Who gets the worst tests? The prophets. Al-Anbiya. Al-Amthal Fal-Amthal. Then the best of the people, then the best of the people. The Prophet used to have a fever that was the fever of men, not the fever of one man. The prophets went through such hardships and tests and trials that nobody else could bear it. This is how Allah increases the reward of a person. So you being tested does not make you hated by Allah. And you being given riches and luxury does not make you beloved to Allah. But what makes you beloved to Allah or hated to Allah is how you personally respond to those situations. And the reality is that all of us, all of us, Wallahi every one of us, in our lives, we go through what? Which of those two do we go through? Both. Every one of us. One of the, These days we share it out among the people. You have days where you're living in such luxury that you think, subhanAllah, how can I thank Allah for what he's given me? And you have days where you're going through such a rough time that you think, Ya Rabb, how am I going to get out of this? 
The reality is neither of those two prove that Allah loves you. But what shows that Allah loves you is if Allah gives you the tawfiq to survive both of them with your iman intact and in fact with your iman increasing. And that's why everything that happens to you in this dunya is an opportunity for you. And that is from the karam of Allah Azawajal. From the generosity of Allah that even his punishment that he gives you. Wallah, even if Allah sends upon you his punishment in this dunya, it's still a chance for you. What did Allah Azawajal say to prove it? I mentioned the ayah before. You remember the ayah that proves that. Many ayat. For example, وَلَنُذِيقَنَّهُمْ مِنَ الْعَذَابِ الْأَدْنَى دُونَ الْعَذَابِ الْأَكْبَرِ Why? لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْجِعُونَ We're going to test them with some of the small punishments instead of the major punishments so that they can return to Allah. Everything that happens to you in dunya is a chance to come back to Allah and a chance to get what is with Allah Azza wa Jal. The last point I'm going to mention before we finish the class on this particular issue. Wallah, there's something uh, Sheikh mentioned. Uh, Allah bless him. Allah hafadhu. Sheikh mentioned a very, very beautiful point. Wallah, I benefited from it. He said, look at the tests the different people face. And look at how big those tests seem to them. And just thinking about how Allah tests the Anbiya. But look at, you know, you see a, a person go through a test. And wallahi, that test, it might be so small and insignificant to you. But to them, it's like they've been tested with the Sirat over Jahannam. For example, the Shaykh gave a very beautiful example. He says that a woman, she has a little baby. And the baby's naughty, doesn't behave. Toddler doesn't behave. She might even want to, subhanAllah, you know, kill herself from the, how much she's stressing over it and panicking over it and just going crazy and this child and I can't live like this and I don't know what I'm going to do and I'm going to die. And wallahi, there's somebody who couldn't have children for 40, 50 years and they're crying, Allahumma give me any child. Look at how this one has been tested and how this one has been tested. Wallah, we complain about things, my brothers and sisters, wallah, we complain about things that wallahi, if the Sahaba went through them, they would say, this is the meaning of فَأَكْرَمَهُ وَنَعَمَ Allah has honored you and showered his blessing upon you. We complain, wallah, we see people complain, when the water in the wudu area is cold. There were people who used to make wudu by walking to the mountains. They didn't have a tap that even opened the water. Wallah, we open the tap, the water is cold. Allah, bala, I mean Allah, I need sabr, astaghfirullah, Allah, give me sabr upon this. This is a test for me. And wallah, some people didn't have clean water to drink for months. They're drinking from the dirty water. And we're complaining because the water isn't, doesn't come out at 45 
degrees C or 50 degrees or whatever. Look at how a test for someone and a test for someone else. How some people, Allah test them uh, with insignificant things, to be honest with you. Things that really are nothing, nothing. And you feel like it's a test and wallahi, if you really examine the situation of other people, you realize, wallah, this is not a test. This is just, Allah just honored me, wallahi. Allah just honored me. And Allah blessed me. And I can't even call this a test, except it's a test of shukr. You know that it's, it's a test of shukr that the biggest problem you have right now for you is so tiny in compared to the problems that people have. Comparison to the problems that people have. So you need to reflect upon that really. And how Allah tests people and the differences between them. And how we sometimes complain about things that wallahi are really, really small. And we make them into big tests and trials. We make them as if they are huge. When in reality, to be honest, they're very, very, very small indeed. There's a line of, uh, of poetry, but I'm... It's gone out of my mind, but it basically, the line of poetry, I might have it written down. No, I, anyways, it take me too long to find it. What the poet said is he said that if hunger can be repelled with a piece of dry bread, if hunger can be repelled with a piece of dry bread, then why am I, what, what is this worry and whisperings, what, what is this worry and whispering come from? Why am I sat here panicking when if you, hunger can be repelled by a piece of dry bread and I'm sat here panicking as though the world is going to end and as though my life is going to end and as though the whole thing turned upside down. And in all honesty, why are you panicking if the world can be, if hunger can be repelled by a, by a slice of dry bread? That's how the Salaf, rahimahullah ta'ala, they used to be. That's how they used to see things. So maybe one of the things you can take from this ayah is not to over, make too much over your problems and not to see your problems as being too big. But also not to see your problems meaning that Allah doesn't care for you or that Allah isn't going to forgive you. Will Allah, we see people like this, emotional, right? Very emotional. And they say, Allah, well, you know, I'm going through so many things. I think Allah is never going to forgive me. Perhaps, subhanAllah, if you looked at it a different way, your problems would disappear in the blink of an eye. Not that the problem would go away, but you would see it in a different way. That you don't see that problem as being that Allah is never going to forgive me and never going to give me anything. And my life, I'm doomed and I'm going to go to Jahannam. But you start to see that. Perhaps this is Allah giving me opportunity for Jannah. And suddenly your problems become lighter instantly by the way that you deal with those problems. Then Allah said, Kalla. It's not like that. Any Kalla. It's not like you think it is. It's not like you think it is. Any the way you think that if Allah gives someone from the dunya that Allah is honoring them and if Allah takes away from them from the dunya it means that Allah is disgracing them. 
it's not like we think. So that's what Allah made easy for us to mention for this class. Do we have any questions? If I know the answer, I'll mention it. No, there are two situations here that we have to distinguish. You're going to put that on the screen so that we can, it saves me repeating the question. So there are two situations here. One is where your Iman is decreasing. And one is where you are not able to do a particular act of worship, but you are not, uh, your Iman is not decreasing. I'll give an example. Someone is... Uh, injured in a car crash and la qaddarallahu dhalik they can't walk again so now they can't stand in the prayer they can't stand in the prayer and Allah said uh, Allah uh, told us about the prayer stand up in the prayer in a state of silence and submission to Allah that person who went into a car crash and they can't walk anymore, is their iman decreasing because of it? It's not decreasing. Allah is not asking, they're getting the reward of standing while they're sitting on the chair. Yes, they're not able to stand. Yes, something got in the way of their ibadah, but it didn't cause their iman to, be, to decrease and to go away from Allah. As for the other situation, a person gets into a car crash and stops praying because I don't want to pray anymore. So if I, I just I can't bring myself to pray anymore. That person, yes, they're in a trouble because they, the way they responded to that test is not the way that Allah commanded them. You don't control what Allah decrees for you. Your job is to respond in the right way. If Allah decrees for me to have a car crash, I don't control that decree. But what my choice is, what do I do with it now? Do I now go and try to worship Allah as much as I can, the best way that I could do? Or do I any, turn away and distance myself from Allah uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala? So that's the answer to that question. It, it's not that something bad happens to you and you become unable to do certain ibadat. That's normal. But it's how you respond. Are you doing the best you can in that situation or not? And sometimes, yes, it is true. Like you get busy with something and you realize this thing just took me away from Allah. That's true. Like sometimes it can be subtle. Like you got busy with a family problem and well, like, you say, look, I just stopped reading Quran. I stopped coming to the masjid. And you realize it did affect my iman. And maybe I got my priorities wrong. And yes, it was a crisis. I should have also given my time or I don't say should have but I would say if I had the chance again if I got the chance again I wouldn't distance myself like that I would keep going but I would also have to give more time towards this particular crisis that we were going through at that time uh, and Allah knows best how do we know that Allah tests us because he loves us or it's a punishment we know by how we respond to it how you respond to it. If you're responding in a positive way, then I hope that this is Allah blessing you and forgiving you. And if you're responding to it in a way that is negative and thinking evil of Allah and speaking evil of Allah and turning away from Allah, 
then perhaps this is a punishment. But even the punishment is a chance for you to come back to Allah. The true punishment is the punishment you don't come back for. You don't come back from. That punishment, when you don't come back from it, that's the punishment when, the, when death comes to you. That punishment, they say, you know, they say, uh, Oh my Lord, take me back to the dunya. Right? You're not going back to the dunya after that. But the punishment in this dunya is al-adhab al-adna. It's the small punishment that Allah gives you to make you come back to Him. And the last thing I just want to reflect on, have you ever thought about that? Human beings need hardship. Let's be honest with you. Human beings, too much softness, it destroys you. It destroys your characteristic, it destroys your character, your, your manners, your everything. And too much luxury destroys a person. You need hardship and challenges. And anyone, I mean, wallah, we see some of the brothers in the masjid, they went through masaib, hardships in their life, wallah. Very big hardships in their life. And yet when Allah took him out of that, some of the brothers we know they took that in the best way, but some also didn't, right? Some also didn't. So at the end of the day, human beings need hardship. It, it's what builds your character. It's what builds your trust in Allah. It's what reminds you that you need Allah and brings you back to Allah. That's what Allah Azza wa Jal made easy for me to mention. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Wassalatu wassalamu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.